Hi, and welcome to our Fourth Universalist service video. My name is Ember Kelly. I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society, and I use she and her pronouns. Thank you so much for joining us for this video slash podcast today. What follows are some selections from our service on October 3rd, 2021. In this video, you will hear the reading and the reflection, and following that, there'll be a lively discussion where we go deeper into the service themes together. You're invited to check out this video and audio podcast each week. We post it on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, as well as your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you do like what you see, we hope that you'll give us a positive review. The likes, the comments, the sharing and subscribing, this helps spread Fourth Universalist media further. Finally, we acknowledge that our community is located on the lands of the Munsei Lenape peoples. This, with this acknowledgement, we seek to continue the process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of oppression. We invite you to join us in this work as we embrace the eighth UU principle. Thank you again for watching. We begin with our reading. some technical difficulties, we actually had to re-record today's reading. So today's reading is from American poet, author, and teacher Stephen Levine. Levine was heavily influenced by Theravada Buddhism and was especially interested in grief and the death and dying process, working alongside the likes of Ram Dass, Jack Kornfield, and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. The poem we read today is entitled Not Knowing. I may not know my original face, but I know how to smile. I may not know the recipe for the diameter of a circle, but I know how to cut a slice for a friend. I may not be Mary or the Buddha, but I can be kind. I may not be a diamond cutter, but I still long for rays of light that reach the heart. I may not be standing on the hill of skulls, but I know love. When I see it. It's uh, Reverend Schuyler here. We had some Zoom issues today uh, at church, and so the first part of my reflection is going to be me repeating it on Zoom, uh, and then it'll switch over to the, the me that was speaking live from Fourth Universalist earlier this morning. So you'll see two versions of me, uh, both in the same day, but just uh, uh, apart. So if you see you jump to me future, uh, that's what's going on. So we hope you enjoy, and we'll get started. One of the first courses I took in college was called Faith, Hope, and Love, Human Responses to Suffering. It was a small class, only 10 to 12 people, and discussion-based, designed to get us accustomed to the rigors of college in a safe and comfortable environment. You know, we read everything from Viktor Frankl, C.S. Lewis, to MLK, and to a beautiful poetic version of the Book of Job. It was a fascinating and dynamic class both for the readings, the topic itself, and the discussion. My classmates debated why suffering existed, why a powerful and good God would allow suffering, and how we were supposed to live given suffering's inevitability. Then one day, about midway through the course, 
my professor told me that he wanted to meet with me in his office after class. Now, this made me nervous. It felt like I was being called to the principal's office. I wondered, had I done something wrong? Was I in trouble? No one else was being asked, to my knowledge. So I went into his office. He said very directly, as I sat down across from him to his desk, that he was worried about me. You hardly ever talk in class, he said. This, this was true. For all the lively discussions that were happening, I was not part of them. I have never been a big in-class share. It was true that I was an introvert, but I know that not all introverts are shy. But to some degree, that was what I was too. In high school, I had the benefit of being surrounded by people I knew and grew up with and trusted. In college, my classmates were unfamiliar. And worse, they just seemed better at school. I have never been a bad student, but I also wasn't a particularly rigorous or intuitive one. My college classmates, though, they seemed groomed for their whole lives for this. They understood textual analysis intuitively. They knew how to make cogent arguments and quote passages and page numbers almost by memory. It was like they came from a place, a background, a culture that taught them exactly how to be in college, something I had never been exposed to, at least at their high level. Good. Most intimidating to me was their speed of speaking. Their banter was immediate. Insights flowed easily, automatically, and endlessly. For them, class discussion seemed like a playful kind of game. Comments back, bouncing back and forth, words and ideas turned this way and that way, almost for the sheer joy of it. They knew they had powerful minds and they enjoyed exercising them in class. This was not me. I had learned early on that my mind had limits to it. I first suspected this when most of my friends were selected for the gifted and talented programs back in third grade, and I was not left behind as teachers praised them for their abilities and took them away from the rest of us. Later, I would experience my limits when I was forced to drop courses in high school, computer programming and chemistry to avoid getting literal Fs in them. It wasn't that I didn't try, it was that I could not do it. So I was familiar with limits and I experienced similar limits in this class. My mind did and still does not produce ideas quickly. I need time to understand things, process them, study, form words, consider alternatives, and think through what has been said. In class, by the time that I had some idea to share, had processed it, everyone else had moved on to something else. I was conscious of my silence in class. Maybe I wasn't good enough or smart enough. These were the gifted and talented kids. And I was just the kid left behind. My professor must have sensed this. 
We hardly ever talked. He said, is everything okay? He shared how he knew that freshman year could be difficult. It could be disorienting. He knew many struggled to adapt to college life, to a new environment, to making new friends. He wanted me to know that if something was going on, I could talk to him. That day, or any day, I needed. He was there to help. In that moment, I remember thinking that he had misread the situation. I was used to being quiet, to feeling out of place, to being outshone in academic settings. It was uncomfortable, embarrassing, but familiar and bearable. I wasn't depressed, I wasn't anxious, I had friends. So I assured him that I was fine, I really was. And he assured me it was okay that I was quiet, as long as I was actually okay. Our conversation impacted me in two important ways. First, by giving me permission to be who I was, which was quiet. He gave me the space to feel okay without fear of his judgment, the judgment of my peers, or anyone's disapproval. Let me know it was okay for me to show up in whatever way I could, even if it meant I was different. The second way that it helped me was that it made me feel seen and cared for. I knew then, as I know now, that people don't really need to care about you. Professors, teachers, bosses, relatives, they can all fulfill their role in your life without actually paying attention to your feelings or your needs without wondering how you're doing, without trying to notice. And even if they do notice, they don't really need to ask or care. I knew then, as I know now, that kindness is not expected in our world. Politeness, maybe. But we are not required or even expected to be concerned about another's feelings, assuming we aren't especially mean. I could tell by the way my professor listened and asked questions that he genuinely wanted to understand and help. It was rare then and it's rare now. He hardly knew me. He certainly had other things to do. He could have easily looked away and said it wasn't his problem, wasn't his job. He must have noticed, worried, and made the decision to check in. I was left wondering, as I was leaving his office that day, why did this accomplished, tenured, deeply intelligent, busy person, why did he care about me? Why was he kind to me? He didn't have to be. I admit that when I experience someone showing a level of care and compassion out of nowhere, I tend to feel uncomfortable, like I don't deserve it, or that I'll mess it up and prove that their caring was a mistake. They didn't know the real me. 
Other times, it feels like a gift I can't reciprocate. Sometimes because I'm taken off guard, sometimes because they are a potential mentor, and that's not how that relationship would work. But every time it happens, I feel humbled. I feel grateful, as if touched by some love that I don't quite understand and doesn't have to be there. Love that does not expect anything in return, that's not conditional, not given because I deserve it, but is freely and generously offered. I hope that everyone here has had people in your life that has given this gift to you, maybe in small ways, maybe in big ways. Someone who's surprised you when you've needed it by being caring and loving. Someone who just seems to believe in you even when you don't believe in yourself. Can't see that version of yourself that they seem to. That trusts your potential. That makes you feel whole and special. If you have, you know it can change your life. When I encounter people who care so openly, so unabashedly, like my professor, I see for myself a role model. I think we all should. Our Unitarian Universalist principles that we care about and love here suggest this path, but I think they do more indirectly than they should. Nor in them does the word love really appear. Compassion does, but compassion sometimes suggests a paternalism, a more generous word for pity. Certainly, we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person, our first principle, and that that can inspire boundless caring. But there's a difference between knowing intellectually that everyone matters and feeling it deeply enough that other people actually feel it too. So the question for all of us is how do we embody that kind of love and care that people in our life actually know? What helps me when I try to be that kind of person is thinking about recently the kind of love that I have for my new son and those family members that I care about. The kind of love that I know that I have felt and changed me and that I want my son to have for me. That kind of love is beautiful and it makes me a better person when I feel it. It is soul giving and it's healing. When I have this kind of love, it makes me feel really good. I rejoice in it. I feel grateful for it. But it also makes me feel sad because I know that not everyone out there who deserves that love always feels it, always gets it. For every college student like me that's called into the professor's office that feels cared for and tended to, for every baby that's held and knows that their parents love them. There are people in this world that do not feel that way, that feel alone and isolated, uncared for. And that's tragic, and it's sad, and it makes me feel even more committed to this need to embody that love, and that's part of what we do here. We know we can do something about it. We know that we can be bearers of that love capable of loving others. 
and showing it off to the world. I think we can start by kindling that within ourselves, by recognizing it to those closest to us. When we have that love for our children, our parents, our friends, our adopted family, we know what that love feels like. We know how it brings out the fullest and most beautiful parts of ourselves, that it's boundless and expansive. We can hold that in us. And even when we're apart from those people that we love closely, intimately, dearly, we can use that love like a little pilot light, the light that burns in our stoves no matter what is going on in the world. And that when we encounter someone that we don't know, that we may not instinctively feel that love for because we don't know them, or maybe they're difficult, or maybe they're just an acquaintance, maybe there's someone sitting next to us that we like, but we don't know if we would feel deep love for them. Access that little pilot light of love that you feel for those closest to you and experiment with what it feels like to activate it. Make it come alive like you would for your child, your parent, your adopted family members. Let it burn more wildly than you would otherwise. We will always do this imperfectly. But when I think of those saints of old, those holy people who inspire the world with their generosity and love, that makes people say, wow, they just live that. The kind of way that I imagine that Jesus and the Buddha and Muhammad must have made people feel seen, just boundless seen. They gave love to everyone they meet, and we can too. My professor and I have stayed in touch. Every few years he will visit New York for various conferences that he takes part in, and we will catch up. He still asks great questions, still cares about the big and little things in life, and I still leave each time feeling that love from him. And I still leave wondering, why, after all these years, does he still email me asking to get together? Why does he still so interested in the student that he had for this one class so long ago? And I think about just how good it makes me feel and how cared for it makes me feel. And I think about how I want others to feel that way, too. Today, when I am in discussion groups and I'm a participant, I am still quiet. I still rarely speak, preferring mostly to listen. I try and share what I think will be helpful, but the feelings of shame and not belonging, the worries of not being good enough, have gone away replaced by the confidence of all those people that have said, I am good enough, and they will care about me just the same. So today, remember those people in your life that have given you that gift, the comfort you have felt, the reassurance, the joy, and the sense of belonging that you have experienced knowing that you got that without having to do anything. And then think about how you might give that to the people in your life, not just to the people closest to you, but by those other people 
outside that normal circle of care, that our society does not expect or demand that you love. But if the world would learn to love beyond that, through all of us, just think how beautiful it would be. How might you surprise someone with your love, with your caring, with your joy? May we all find a way. Amen. Hi, everyone. We hope you enjoyed the, the service and the reflection. Right now, we're going to transition to a discussion. Ember, who is our director of religious education, and myself are going to be diving more deeply into the themes that, that I spoke about. Um, so, Ember, what did you, what did you think? You know, I, I have to say that when you, you just keep knocking out of the park these last few weeks, every time that I, that I get this, the, the script uh, during the week, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, like, what, what is he going to do this week? <laughs> and each time I'm like, wow, like, this is really just uh, hitting with, like, right exactly what I need to hear right at this moment. And this one um, felt very personal, very um, vulnerable in a sense, in, in a very good way, I think. Um, and sharing what this, what connection and, and friendship and mentorship and caring for each other, what that can look like uh, in real practice in people's lives. So um, thanks so much for like really sharing a little bit about college Skylar. Um. Thanks. Yeah, it definitely felt more vulnerable uh, and more personal. I mean, I suppose it was. Um, and uh, that always makes me a bit anxious because it's, it is, uh, uh, it is more, you know, exposing yourself in a more uh, deeper way. Um, easier than, um, it's easier to talk about abstract themes or religious theologies or sort of moral justice issues because, you know, those aren't really about, about yourself. So, but I do think it's important for pastors and ministers in any, any position to, to open themselves up to be human, um, which I hope I did without, without oversharing or without, um, uh, processing sort of therapy in front of the congregation. So Ember, I'm curious, you said, you said it was something that spoke to you. Tell me about, uh, tell me about, you know, how and, you know, whether you've had people in your life that's shown you uh, kindness that wasn't necessary, but was deeply appreciated. Well, you know, the last few weeks at, at, uh, at picnic time, uh, I've, I've had so many people saying like, oh, Ember, I, I love the stuff you've you've done last, or, you know, the last year. You, you do such a great job, and all these people saying nice things about me. I'm like, I think you guys, you know, are more positive about me than I am positive about myself. So, uh, in a way, the Fourth U community um, has come out with a lot of caring as as our family, you know, made this big leap during a really challenging time. Like this, this was not the ideal time during a pandemic to to start a new position. Uh, to try and get to know a new community. And I feel like the community uh, really came out with love. So I wanna you know, say that first of all, and not just because everybody's listening, <laughs> but I mean, I've also had so many uh, mentors along the way as I pursue like religious work, um, uh, pastors in high school, more recently, um, one of my internship ministers, as well as I'd been working with him for about a decade on, um, trans work in, in churches. Uh, and uh, he still, you know, he, he is involved with the ordination process in my uh, parent denomination, the UCC. And he is the one who is constantly like, Ember, like, let's, let's get this done. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And like, really um, helping me to believe and follow 
my callings, even when maybe I'm a little bit uh, less, less feeling like I'm good enough to. Uh, mentors are really great for like dealing with, with imposter syndrome, I think. They are. Yeah. Well, and let me echo the fact that you would be a great minister when you finish that paperwork and uh, get you to be the Reverend Ember Kelly and get you ordained. And that would be very exciting for all of us here at Fourth U too. Well, so, you know, normally I ask what, what resources you used. I think uh, we, we kind of know that you used some elements of your own life story, but what inspired, what was, was there anything that happened in the last few weeks that, that kind of caused you to think like that this would be a good theme, a good uh, message for this week? Yeah, I've been meditating a lot about family and, and love, you know, having a newborn son, I think, um, you know, invites those questions for uh for me and i think for a lot of people um you know how do we how do we embody that that version of ourselves that uh is nurturing is is caring um that you know i think there's a point in our lives where sometimes we transition from the one being cared for and, and mentored to sort of the to be the sort of the age of of those who are the mentoring or the caring for uh, and and I, I don't know if I'm quite entirely there, uh, but I do think that I do think having a child inspires in, in, in people and in myself this, this question of what does it mean to really care for someone um, and, and finding a lot of, I think, joy and, and fulfillment in that experience. Um, and then feeling sad that like, you know, there's nothing on a, on a universal level that's any different from my son than anybody else in this world, right? And that like, it's easy to care about a little innocent, vulnerable baby. Um, it's uh, a lot harder to care about grownups, uh, people, other people's children, um, you know, children that, you know, maybe don't look like us or aren't from the same country. Uh, uh, and so I think the, I think being able to take the more localized love that we have for the people in our own lives and being able to expand it out is super important. Um, and it's part of what our universalizing message is about. Um, and so I talk a little bit about that. I think there's probably other sermons that could ex dive more deeply into that. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, we find, we find that kernel of love within us. Uh, I talk about a pilot light, right? That's sort of burning there. Um, I think it's easy to sort of inflame it with people we know and, and connect with and maybe our, in our family. But I think the real sign of spiritual maturity and and uh, and also just like delight at the world is being able to to have that pilot light spark uh, with everyone you see, um, or at least uh, spark easily rather than hard. Yeah, definitely, that makes sense to me. And I, that that's actually somewhat related to as I considered questions to ask you about the uh, message. One of the things that I wanted to talk about was. Like this idea of caring for others without motive. I know growing up in the more like fundamentalist Christian world, you were told to love everybody, but it was so that they'll get saved, like so that you have the chance to witness to them. And I think that as I've gotten older, um, one of the things that I've tried to do, I think that a lot of humans, human beings want to do it. Um, maybe not all of us are the best at it, is trying to care and love others without motive. Um, it, it, it's a real challenge, not just for those from like a fundamentalist background, but uh, a lot of us maybe want something out of someone or we don't uh, feel like caring about someone if there's not really uh, any possible return for us. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't help but think as you were talking about that we have trouble maybe loving 
other people's children that even last it was last year this time that you were doing the message about homelessness on the Upper West Side. Um, and uh, we have a hard time caring about someone when we think that they're perhaps a hindrance to us or that they're that um, we um, kind of don't want to see that problem or things like that. So uh, it's really, it's a challenge. How do you know, how do we start making this move to to caring without motive? Mm. Answer the Great big question. question. <laughs> I, I think for me, fundamentally, when I think about my best self, when I'm embodying these principles, uh, to the extent that I can, uh, and I think that's nobody does it perfectly. And I think it's a lifelong journey towards that. Um, is that it's, it's really a something, it's really something that's grounded in ourselves. Um, you, you know, yes, we believe that everybody, you know, is, is worthy of love and worthy of kindness and has inherent worth and dignity. Um, but, but we don't love someone because we are making a judgment about them uh, as being worthy in the moment. Um, you know, I think, I think the tendency to make judgments and categorizations, we're trained from very young to do that when we encounter anything. Um, I think a lot of spiritual teachings encourage us to practice ways of shutting that off um, because ultimately when we think about judgments, if we're not careful, we end up categorizing people into better or worse or worthy or not worthy. And it's very hard as human beings to to make judgments on people without ranking um, or without making good or bad judgments. And so the, so the, the kindness, the caring, the love that, uh, that we have to extend to other people or that we should, you know, it's going to be conditional unless, unless we have it grounded in ourselves. And so I don't think, I, I don't think the key is to look around and say, you know, these are the people I need to start loving. I, I think, you know, you can, you can do that. And that's certainly a good awareness or like, oh, I feel resistance to that love. But I think fundamentally it has to be an inward thing where we look into ourselves and say, why, you know, how can I keep that pilot light inside me of, of love that, that can, um, that can burst into flame when I see people? And what is it, what is it about myself and my inner life that embodies that love that carries it with me in my spirit, um, wherever I go? Um, and uh, and it's really it's it's not a question about other people it's about your own spiritual life and your own ability to, to manifest that into the world so um uh and that way it frees it from conditionality right it frees it from people having to be good enough to deserve your love um, or do something in particular because it's really it's not about them right we we know that everyone deserves love every everyone out that in that world was a little baby once that would giggle if you tickled their stomach or their feet right like uh they were they were deserving of love and, and caring then and they and they and they still are um, you know that that really shouldn't be the issue the issue is how do we how do we be in this world as if that was if that as if we believe that right and let everyone know that that's true when we encounter them um, and that has to be internal work it has to be something that we take responsibility for in ourselves so turning it back towards the the mentorship kind of discussion that uh, was a lot of uh, what you shared, um, you know, I've, like I mentioned in the earlier part of the discussion, I, I've had mentors that were important to me. Uh, one of the things as far as past like uh, career experiences was even when I was, uh, uh, when I was working in, in retail, 
um, I ended up helping like develop a training program and it, it greatly uh, decreased turnover at the, uh, during the training that year because it, it expressed caring and expressed, it made sure that there was mentors and people were building that relationship. What do you think uh, makes good mentoring? If you're if you giving someone advice on mentoring. I think, I think good mentors, they have to be able to be with people with an open heart. They have to be able to reserve their judgment um, while also while also thinking critically about a person's um, path and journey and where their goals are. Um, when I was a teacher, we talked a lot about about finding the ability to both be challenging while also being supportive. And, and so often, I think people who struggle with mentoring or being supervisors or teachers, you know, they, they don't know how to hold those two things together. They, they're both super challenging and, and come across as uncaring or they're super caring and they, they don't, they're not able to, uh, to offer meaningful feedback or, or pushing to be better. Um, and so I think good mentors are able to hold those two things at the same time, um, which really, I think, you know, show, show that that's the ultimate caring and ultimate love, because if you're not willing to challenge somebody or push them to be their best selves, then you're kind of, there's a bit of a, a cowardice to that. Um, and if you are just pushing them, then you forget that, that we're not all the same and that we need to be uh, understanding of, of our own our own challenges, right? And someone else's life experience that doesn't match ours. And so, you know, then we're kind of worrying it for our own kind of gratification of, of power and rightness. Um, and so that balance is also a spiritual balance, right? Where we are able to, to hold this other person in love, uh, but also be able to see a version of themselves that isn't quite realized yet, but could be if, you know, if they continue to sort of go in a direction that is good for them. Reverend Schuyler, thanks so much for both a great message today, but also for sitting down for this discussion. It's always uh, enjoyable to uh, get to sit down with you. Next week, we do have a special guest. Um, and so our, our guest speaker will also be our guest discussioner for, uh, for this time as well. So uh, stay tuned next week or uh, feel free to stop by our online service if you're not in person or uh, stop by our in-person service if you're in the city. We'd love to have you. Thanks, everyone. Uh, Going to be a great service next week. We'll, we'll hopefully see you then.